Let's pray for a minute. Father, we want to thank you because you are good and what you do is good. And Father, we, we always pray for your word that goes out, but I want to pray this morning for our hearts. I want to pray that we would hear what you want us to hear, not what I want to say, but what you want to speak into our hearts this morning. So Lord, we bless you. We pray for our children. We ask that you would make yourself known to them. And Father, we pray that they would know the life and the love and the joy that you give and also the fact that you are the good shepherd who walks with us in all things. So Lord, we bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as it's Harvest Festival, my message is a bit Harvest Festival-y. I'm not going to be cooking a meal. Uh, I remember watching an advert for a program. I think it was Brian May, you know, the guy who did the car things. And he says, hi, I'm Brian May. I can't cook and this is my cookery show. <laughs> so it would be a bit like that. But Harvest Festival has been celebrated. Anybody know for how long in the church? Because you kind of think it's been there forever. Harvest Festival has been celebrated in church for 179 years. Next year, it reaches 180. Now, having said that, Harvest itself has been celebrated forever. People have always celebrated in some measure. Uh, and if we go even further back into the Old Testament, we find that the Harvest Festival was celebrated by the Israelites. In Exodus, we're told, celebrate the festival of harvest when you bring me the first crops of your harvest. In Leviticus, we're told, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priests a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain. So what's the point of Harvest Festival? Well, Harvest Festival, all of this stuff should lead us to celebrate thankfulness. I've noticed that in the Western nations, we kind of lose track of being thankful. You know, it's really easy to moan. Well, this is wrong and that's wrong and the tin's the wrong shape and the box is too big and whatever else. But actually... We need to be really thankful. I mean, in the UK, we should be massively thankful because we're not going hungry. Now, I'm not saying that universal. There are parts of the UK where people are. We need to bear that in mind. I'll come back to that later. But in the main, we have a really good social system that helps people, that provides for people. We have food banks. That's what this is here for. This is all going to the West Brom Food Bank. And if you go to any supermarket, we used to every week collect food for the food bank, but we stopped doing that. And the reason we stopped doing that is nearly every supermarket you go into has a trolley for the local food bank. So why collect it here when we can do it straight there? But isn't it a tremendous thing? Something that the church started many years ago has now become mainstream that food banks are just about everywhere helping people. But it brings us back to this point of thankfulness. We're thankful to God. God is the one who provides all that we have. 
as we live our lives, he is the one who is our provider, and we need to be thankful for that. And more and more, I look and think, you know what? I need to be more thankful. We've got houses. Did you know that our houses today are more comfortable than a king's castle 100, 200 years ago? Just think about it for a moment. The common person is living in greater luxury today than the royalty did a couple of hundred years ago. What an amazing blessing. Anybody have an electric blanket in the winter? Oh, a few hands going up. Nothing like getting into a nice, toasty, warm bed. We have so many things, central heating, you name it, hot chocolate, all these things where we are blessed as a people. And I want to mention a few things that I think Harvest Festival highlights. The first thing might not be one that you would naturally think about. It's called hard work. Let's be honest, if the farmer did not go out into his field at 4 a.m. and do his stuff and continue to do it, whether it's raining or whether it's sunny, if he didn't go out and do his stuff, this table would be empty. Hard work. Proverbs tells us this, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Now, some people will say, oh, but Simon, what about the Israelites in the desert? They had supernatural provision. Yes, they did. And you know what? That is an amazing illustration that if you are in the desert, if you are in dire need, if you have nothing else and all you're trusting in is God, he will provide for you. But when they entered the promised land, as we read earlier, he said, guys, when you harvest, then you need to give the first fruits into the temple to the priest. And there was this expectation that now they had to work. They had to till the land. They had to sow things in. They had to work with their hands and produce stuff. Even in the New Testament, hard work is expected. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. And then he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped more times, uh, and faced death again and again. The idea is that we work. We work. I don't know how you find it, but I don't like having too much time not working because it depresses me. I need to have something to do. There was an interesting thing I read many years ago that said people who have something to do when they hit retirement live longer. People who don't have anything to do pass away quicker. There is an expectation we need to do things. It makes us feel that we are working and having things fulfilled. And here's some good news. In Galatians 6.9 it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Anybody get tired at work? Okay, three of us. Wow, the rest of you. I'll have a chat with your boss. Crank it up. 
Tell you, it's hard work, isn't it? Some of you guys do 12-hour shifts, and I'm amazed at what you do. Those of you that work in the NHS, folks do even longer shifts, and they do shifts back-to-back, -back, and in the caring industry and working on public transport and various, the service industry, people work phenomenally long hours. And it says here, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And there's one of the encouragements in hard work. Don't give up. I mentioned last week, and I should mention it more often, the Bible has a very clear theology of reward. We will be rewarded for what we do. And I'm not saying that because we're mercenary in terms of what we're doing. Well, I'm only doing this because I'm getting reward. But we do need to know that there is a reward. Don't know about you, but when you work hard, if your boss said to you at the end of the month, well, thank you very much for your hard work. That's really good. We're not going to pay you. There's no reward here. You're just doing it because you're a good person. We'd probably find out how ungood we were. There's a really important thing of reward that the Bible talks about. And here it's saying that if we don't give up, we will reap a harvest. And all the more so for those of us who are believers, because we often get involved in things that are far harder. We have to deal with people that are grieving, with people that are close to death or having long-term illnesses, with people who are lost and struggling, with people who have... Uh, ideas of committing suicide. I read this terrible article about this girl, 14, who'd committed suicide because of all the stuff that had been pumped into her screen by Facebook and Meta and Instagram. And she was the first girl ever where on her death certificate, it also put due to social media content. We have to deal, we have to grapple with those things. A lot of times we don't want to do that, we want to push it away, and it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work to be at work when things are difficult, and then people come, and they offload a whole load of other stuff. They think, how do I cope with this? But just think about what Jesus did. Jesus fed people. Jesus had nights where he prayed all through the night and then he went straight back in. He had the whole of the establishment against him. They were looking for ways to kill him. Can you imagine every time you go out, you've got a whole group of people that are listening every word you're saying just so they can trip you up. I mean, it's a bit like that now. I have to listen long and hard to my sermons before I put them online. Make sure I'm not saying something that somebody will go, oh, let's take him to court. Jesus had that. He faced people who had lost loved ones, people who were critically ill, people who were overlooked by society, people who were poor, people who were wealthy. And yet, everything he did was good. And I want to encourage you in all that you're doing, yeah, it's hard work, but at the proper time, there will be a harvest for you because God has set that up for you. Harvest Festival is also a miracle. It's a miracle because at the very beginning in Genesis, this is what God says, as long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. 
Who makes all of the stuff grow? Hint, it's God. You know, we have all of these amazing programs about nature, but nobody really can answer the question, well, why does it happen like that? Why does it happen like that? I mean, you have some of these things where say, well, it's purely an accident. I just find that so, so amazing that people would believe that. More and more, I was listening to something the other day where people are trying to uh, look at some of the, the different, what they call evolutionary things that go on, and it all traces back to an explosion. I remember somebody saying once, it's like an explosion happening in a scrapyard and left behind is a Porsche 911 Turbo in mint condition. Now, I'm not ridiculing it, but I'm asking the question behind that. There must be a creative hand behind what we see, even when the simple things of um, a, a, a germ of wheat going into the ground and then it rain goes upon it and it produces, what makes it do that? And the simple thing is it's this. God said there will be planting and harvest. He spoke it into being. In Genesis 2 verse 9 it says, The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. There are places in our world today that have a very poor harvest. And yet it's the same soil, the same ground that once had a lot of harvest. Why is that not happening? Well, I'll speak a bit about that in a moment. But some of it is to do with the fact that it's God that makes it grow. And if God says it ain't going to grow, it's not going to grow. We're told in the Old Testament that harvest is withheld from land because blood has been shed and it's not been dealt with. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, the context is slightly different, but it gives, just demonstrates the point of growth. Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And then it says this, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. God is the one. We're told in Hebrews 1 that God sustains the whole world by the word of his power. It's the word of Jesus that sustains everything that lives. We breathe not because our hearts are pumping around air into our lungs are going in. We're not, it's not that. It's because God has spoken a word that keeps us alive. Third thing that Harvest Festival does, it's provision. I mean, all of this is provision. If you go home and you open your pantry or your cupboards or whatever, you will have something similar to this. It's provision. There are many nations that don't have any of this. It's hand to mouth. It's what they earn today gets eaten today. What they buy today gets eaten today. And tomorrow they have to worry about that. But for us, we begin to see that this is God's provision. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Isn't that amazing? And then it says, In the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Everything we have comes from God. Why do we say grace? Not because we think we're going to die because, you know, the wife hasn't cooked the food properly or I, if I've been cooking, they pray even harder. It's not because of that. We pray because we are thankful 
Because what's on our plate is a provision of God. He's provided it. And that provision, incidentally, is not just for us. That provision is so that we can spread it around to those who do not have. I love this scripture in Ephesians 4. It says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. What's he saying? Don't be idle. Don't go and steal stuff, but use your hands, work hard, and share what you have with those who have nothing. Proverbs again. Proverbs is a great book. I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands, then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Yeah, we need to work hard, but God provides for what we need. 2 Corinthians 8.14 is probably for the church, in terms of its generosity, one of the most important kind of um, verses or ideas that is brought there. He says this, this is Paul again. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. So you get the idea. The idea in God's economy is not that when you have a lot, that you store it up for yourself, but you share it with those who don't have a lot. And then when you don't have much, when you don't have much, they can share their plenty with you. You understand that principle? Now let me tell you, that is not a principle that the world lives by. The world's principle is you store up for yourself. And you remember that parable of the rich man who said, you know what, I've got so much stuff, it can't fit into my barns. I'm going to knock my barns down, build bigger barns so I can store more stuff. And God says to him, you fool, tonight you're going to die. And who's going to get it all then? The point is that our plenty is to help others. But then we think, well, that's a bit risky. If I give the extra I have, if I don't save that up, if I give that away, what happens when I'm in need? Well, God says, well, others will provide for you. You see, I like the equality in God's economy, not, I have to be careful, I don't start talking politics, not about governments that allow rich people to have more money. We shall not name whom. It's about making sure that we share with those that are around us. I mean, we know that. If you've got two coats and somebody's got none, give them a coat. You'll be amazed if you practically do that, how hard it is. Well, which coat shall I give? Well, I like that one. That's a kind of my Wednesday coat. I don't want to give that away. I've got Wednesday coming. You know what? It's really difficult to give stuff away. But let me tell you, once you do it, it becomes easier. 
And being generous is a phenomenal lifestyle. And I want to encourage you, this is an amazing principle that when we have a lot, God gives it to us to give to those who don't. And when we don't have a lot, those who do will share with us. God will ensure that it goes around and we keep one another going. God is amazing. He expects us to live as a family and therefore he will provide to you for that person and for that person to this person because he wants us to connect. He doesn't want us to be isolated and hoard what we have. The last one is not a pleasant one is Harvest Festival reminds us of judgment. Why does it remind us of judgment? Because failed harvests are a sign of God's judgment. Now, I know that's very much an Old Testament model, and it's also one that was often uh, brought onto the nations. If a nation was evil, if a nation did evil things, God would make their harvests fail. He would also take their harvests and give them to another nation. Now, the Israelites saw that. They saw times when the Midianites came at harvest time and devoured all of their stuff. And they said to God, that's not fair. And God says, yeah, it's because you haven't been fair. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because our nation at one time did operate on some good, biblical, godly principles, but we kind of jettisoned that many, many moons ago. And that means as a nation, we are not where we should be in terms of our relationship with God, and it may well mean that we will struggle with some of these things. I'm amazed when I read some of these articles that fly through how much harder it is becoming for farmers to yield a harvest. Well, why is that? Oh, they've overused um, the land, etc. And there's some wisdom in the Old Testament. Give your land a rest every seven years. But there's also the thing that if we become an unrighteous nation, God may well speak and say, you're not going to have a good harvest anymore. You're going to plant a hundredfold and get back 10%. What you grow is going to be taken by somebody else. There was an old saying I learned years ago. There was a man, some thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. It's about us being generous. Now, the good thing is, as a nation, we do give. We do give to nations that need and need help and stuff. We do give, but we need to really be careful as a nation. We need to pray for our nation that we honor God. Because ultimately, it is God that makes the harvest possible, not the farmers, not the politicians, not those with money and in power. It is God who makes it possible, and he is the one that we need to listen to. So as I conclude this morning, it's not about just farmers. It's all to do with provision. It's a recognition that everything we have comes from God. And let me broaden that out a little bit. Everything we have comes from God. That's not just what we have in the soil, but it's also the skills that you possess. 
You know, I'm amazed at people who have a good singing voice or great sporting or athletic ability and how they earn a lot of money and they get a lot of acclaim, but actually that ability is given by God. Let me read to you a few scriptures. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. Are you successful? Well, we're told here, God has given you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Ecclesiastes 5.19 And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this indeed is a gift from God. But see that God is the one who gives wealth. You don't get it by winning the lottery. You get it because God says, I want you to have wealth. Ecclesiastes again, 6 verse 2. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want. But then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy those things. They die and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy. Why is that? Well, actually, if we don't honor God with our wealth, if God is not at the center, I mean, something that I've said the last few weeks that comes out of the passing of our queen is that she had a framework for living that was Jesus Christ. He was the foundation of her life. And if building on that is just with wealth that we try and get ourselves or whatever we do within it and God isn't honored, it doesn't lead anywhere. I find it tragic if you go through Wikipedia, in my lifetime, if I look at some of the most popular, famous singers, so many of them are dead through suicide or some overdose of some drug or, or something else. And it's tragic. I mean, one of the greatest ones that I kind of heard growing up, but I wasn't kind of, you know, I'm not that old. But you, you, should, you should read one time of the guy who first came, which was Elvis Presley. It is the saddest reading of a life ever. And yet his music is still so popular, but the royalties, who gets that? He doesn't get it. Our talents, our skills, our abilities, they are all things God gives us and we need to honor him with that. You know, if you have an entrepreneurial ability to make money, praise God, but use it for the kingdom. doesn't mean you should live in poverty, but it means you need to honor God within it. Whatever gifts and abilities you have, you need to make available for work in God's kingdom because that is why he has given us those gifts. I'm sometimes amazed at people who are willing to use gifts God has given them in the business world to make money, but not in the church or the kingdom. Thinking, wow. It's kind of like saying to God, well, thank you for that. I'll earn some money for myself, but I'm not going to use it to help you, God. So I want to encourage you, and this is not a guilt trip, because God's not like that, but I want to highlight that what you have, the abilities and skills you have, are things that God has given to you, and he said, I'm blessing you with that, so you can be a blessing. 
Could you imagine what would happen in our world if people used their skills and abilities for the common good? I mean, I said a, a few months ago or a month ago, we watched this program about the Mars rover. They had this program where the greatest scientific brains that work in NASA, who have over a billion dollars, have created this instrument that's gone all the way to Mars looking for water. Brackets, what a waste of time that is. But the thing that amazed me is, these are the brightest brains we have, and they're spending all of their energy on that when they could be dealing with our energy crisis. I mean, I think, am I going mad? Spending all of that time and energy. Man, let's get this telescope out there. Yeah, it's, I love to see the photos of, of, of the world, etc. But actually, we have some pressing issues that we could do with some skills that God has given that really I don't want using to discover how nice the rocks are on Mars. Now, I know a lot of stuff has been discovered in the process of in that, but the point is this, God gives us ability for the common good. Everything we have and do should be for the common good. The church is here for the common good. One of the great news uh, that we have about churches is that church is the biggest humanitarian aid across the world. Because the church understands that what we receive from God is for the common good. And so I want to encourage you, what are you doing for the common good? What gifts do you have that could be used for the common good that would bless people? You know, I watch some of these programs that people do to help people to cook healthy meals. That's a tremendous thing. Or people that sit down, you know, we've, we've got an organization, Christians Against Poverty, that help people to budget their money. I tell you, that's a, a phenomenally valuable thing. Opening our building up, a place for people to come to be warm, for the children to come and to hear about how God loves them. You know, all kinds of things that we can do. And so I want to encourage you this morning, what about your gift? What about the skills that God has given you how does God want you to use? I'm not saying ditch your job. Keep going with your job. Earn the money that you're earning. But ask God, what do I need to do for your kingdom here? It may be that he's using you in your workplace just to be a testimony to other people. Or maybe he wants you to use that in some other way. Let me finish with a scripture from Deuteronomy. I'm reading this. Now, this was read to the Israelites at the very beginning. And the idea of this scripture was very simple. It was, you've come out of the desert, you've had a really hard time, but I'm leading you into a land that will be a blessing. And what I want to make sure is that when you receive that blessing, you don't forget where it came from. That's where this scripture comes from. And it says this, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. 
For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that all that we have is yours. You give us the sun, it rises every day and it shines upon us, but it does that because it does your bidding. Father, the wealth that we have, the savings in our bank account, the house we own or, or the car we have or the job that we've got, Father, we want to thank you because we recognize again today it all comes from your hand. And Father, we bless you for that today. We bless you for your goodness. We bless you for your generosity. We thank you for your amazing faithfulness throughout many, many generations. And Father, I pray this morning that we would be like you, that we would be generous. I want to pray that we would be a generous people with our time, with our money, with our resources, with all that we have, that we would know your amazing generosity flowing through us to other people. And so, Lord, today, would you bless your people? Would the Lord make his face shine upon you? Would God continue to bless you? Would he bless your family? Would he bless your relatives? Would he bless your home? Would he bless your food? Would he protect you? May God bless you today. And in being blessed, may you be a blessing to those that you come into contact with. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing provision this morning. We pray for our food bank. Father, we pray that there would be continued provision for them, that they would know that supernatural provision that you bring and that you would touch our hearts when we need to give more. And so, Lord, bless them and bless those people who come in great need. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.